We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way. And I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 151 weeks into 14 days to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and the fan favorite, Lord Marty Foster. We'll start with you, Lord Foster. How are you feeling today? I'm a, a lot better than you described me yesterday. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm sorry that I'm only getting one part of my, my regime uh, correct. Um, I will go and get a green tea shortly. No, I'm, I'm okay. I'm getting better. But this mutated cold that I have is definitely hanging on in there. It's it's taken a long time to shift. But other than that, I'm pretty good. Thank you very much for asking. And how are you both? I'm just fine. I'm just fine. Thank you. Yeah, and healthy and alive here. Uh, internet issues are fixed. So Did you get that tech I'm out there? about that. Uh, no tech. Uh, apparently they were doing some upgrades on their end and uh, they completed them sometime this morning. And I talked with the tech and everything's good. So I have to be honest, you both had the look of disgust on your face when I said we're 151 weeks into two weeks to flatten the curve. You, you looked a little upset. Why is that? I mean, we're, we're fighting COVID here. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We're still under states of emergency in all of our countries. Yeah, there is a country I want to go to because we've got I've got friends there that I cannot go well, to at the moment. I told you, you can come on over anytime you want. I mean, you have to drive. But, you know. <laughs> um, no, I've just got to wait until until a few more of these um, bought and paid for politicians go and spend more time with their family and and you know countries can start to get back to normal but we all know we're never going to get back to normal without some serious upheaval um so yeah every time you um you list that expanse of time that it's taken to flatten the curve so to speak it, it does it does stress me a little bit yeah and if you think that two weeks to flatten the curve is bad i mean think about it in the context of a 15 minute city or something that we're going to be discussing next week called c40 you're gonna love c40 i'm not gonna get into that yet however the 15 minute city we're supposed to have all of those target uh, climate footprint targets met by the year 2030, right? Or agenda 2030. That's supposed to be that. So we've got, uh, let me see, 2020. We've got seven years to flatten that curve. Yeah. And I'm going to be too old by that time as well. By the time the sheep will finally sort of turn into angry rams and are trying to batter down the doors of this fake government that we have. Um, we all have. We all have. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm using the royal we as in globally, although I don't want to talk like a globalist because that's the last thing I am or want. Yeah, I'm going to be too old. Let's get it on now. I've got my new knees. Let's get it on now. I like that. Let's get it on now. Uh, the city of you're gonna you're gonna shoot me for this one, uh, but the city of Bath. I know. Forgive the American accent. The city of no Bath. no no no. You you've no? you've um you've pronounced it correctly if you're from the north of England because oh, there is there is no R in Bath, which is how us in the south of England pronounce it. There's two ways to pronounce it: Bath or Bath. It's called Bath because it's the site of a ancient Roman spa, natural spring. It's a it's a beautiful city. A lot of the inner city uh, buildings are very old and are protected. You know, they're listed buildings. You've got these these lovely sweeping crescents of terraced properties that were because Bath and Bristol are very very close. So they're on the uh, the Severn Estuary. And they were the centre of all that trade, including, unfortunately, the slave trade uh, and that triangle there, tobacco, cotton, slaves. And so it's a very rich area and it, it, it it's a very old area. Uh, and the city itself uh, is mostly pedestrian. You know, you can walk around the whole street. There's no cars going through the middle of the shops. It's a pedestrianised really? uh, no city anyway. Not in the middle, not in the middle of the city. Obviously, you've got delivery vans and police sure. vehicles and emergency sure. vehicles sure. able to get in there, but by and large, it's it's entirely pedestrian. That's interesting because if if you if you look at what the the C forty is going to be all about, then which is actually worse than a fifteen minute city. I'll just brace you now, um, and we're not going to get into that uh, this week. And Bruce is already looking perplexed. He's he's looking he's he's anxious to get down into that one already. Uh, but that means no vehicles in the city whatsoever. Electric cars included, so that's going to be uh, that's going to be really interesting. However, this is a uh, this is a photo of uh, one of the streets there in the city of Bath, and they've decided that uh, they're going to start their 15 minute city without the consultation of the constituency. They're just going to put up these uh, these uh, plant pot things here, and they're just going to uh, tell you, "Sorry, you you just you can't leave." That's that's kind of crazy, isn't it? The, this is how it starts. It's a very like this is it's this is how it starts. Hilly area. It, it, there's a lot of hills in and around Bath, and you know sometimes when you're walking up a particular street, you, you're almost leaning right forward to get up it. That they're, they're that steep, so people do need vehicles to get around. It's not like you know uh, a nice flat, gorgeous place that I grew up in in Norfolk. It's it's a hilly, steep place to live. So. You know, people do need cars, do need vehicles to get to get around. And this is, by the looks of it, on a housing estate. It is, yeah. And my advice to the residents of that housing estate is the same as the advice that I saw on that photograph when I first saw it, which is get rid of them now, these wooden boxes, before they fill them with concrete and make them permanent. Don't put up with it. Don't let them dictate where you can and can't go. Yeah, the, there's not a lot else I can say about that. It's it is irritating, but yeah. the thing is, it's quite a, a wealthy area in some parts, but in other parts, it's also quite poor. So you've got political extremes. You've got staunch Labour, give me free stuff voters, and then you've got the died in the wall Tory snobs 
who are quite happy for everything to be sold out and outsourced and as long as their shares keep going up. But Bath has two universities. And in universities, what do we get? You get libtards. You get those middle-of-the-road liberal Marxists that, um, you know, that they are the real turkeys praying for Christmas because they want this freedom and that freedom. But under these Marxist regimes, um, they're the first ones to get put against a wall and shot because they're of absolutely no use to anyone. They haven't got a clue how to operate a tractor or heavy machinery or anything like that. All they know how to do is indoctrinate young minds into their subverse way of thinking. So Bath has two universities. So I think that's possibly where the council has got the idea that they can impose those kind of restrictions. And they'll have the support, of course, from the local universities to adopt that. And they'll have them out there with their pundits and their studies and everything else and writing articles in the paper and op-eds and everything else talking about how great it is. Correct me if I'm wrong here, because I, I get your, your cities and your counties mixed up sometime. Uh, Colchester, is that a city or is that a county? Colchester is a, another Roman settlement, early Roman settlement in the county of Essex. It's Essex. also gotcha. it's also a garrison town or was a garrison town. And it, I think they've still got our one and only military prison there now as well uh, in Colchester. So the, the Navy used to have their own detention quarters, but now all naughty soldiers, sailors and airmen and airwomen all go to Colchester for corrective training. I see. Corrective training. It's 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 air people, Marty. It's not it's not air women or air men. It's air people. Air persons. No, that doesn't work. Air people. Sorry, I'm trying to I'm trying to keep it doesn't fly with you. I'm trying to keep with the uh the, the ridiculous uh terminology that we heard yesterday out of the American mainstream media. Uh anyway, uh the city of Colchester, their residents have been told that they're going to get a 15-minute city. And the council is going to vote for that. Well, the residents of Colchester last night, and I will run some video here for you. Uh, the residents of Colchester stormed a council meeting last night and said, um, no, we don't want your 15-minute city. We're not interested in having our movements restricted. We're not interested in your uh, your proposals for tyranny. Take your 15-minute city and stuff it. And so they tabled it. I'm assuming until they can bar the people from being able to come in and sit during the council meeting, and then they'll pass it. Ah, I, I think that's that's brilliant. And the people of Essex who have resisted should be jolly proud of themselves. Um, there's an awful lot Essex needs to not be proud of. For instance, there's a TV show called The Only Way is Essex. Only Way is Essex, yeah, yeah. And, and it, it does contain some of the most um, pitiful examples of humanity on the face of the earth. No, I'm um, sorry. No, no, no. I'm, I'm going to have to stop you there. Jersey Shore. Yeah, well, that's what it's based on. It's it's uh, that, that's what it's based on. We we have to keep copying whatever the American media uh, spews out. And I use the word spew advisedly because it is vomit. It is TV vomit. Um, these kind of to, shows. But no, I have to, I have to say don't, don't detract me from, from the good thing that happened. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Peaky Blinders was was it's a great series. I know it's a copy. Of, it's a it's a knockoff of Boardwalk Empire, but it's a great series. 
Just how how dare you? I dare. You. I'm sorry. But, <laughs> I'm sorry. At least at it, least to the credit of of uh, of the BBC, I'm pretty sure that's who produces it. At least to their credit, uh, Peaky Blinders was actually based on on a true story. I don't think Boardwalk Empire was. There was some truth well, it in it. Kind of was. It, it, it had. I watched all of Boardwalk Empire because um, it it streamed while I was working out in the U in the UAE, and it was. Um, I loved it. I thought it was a great series. Yeah, really, yeah, yeah. Really okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to you know, take away from the, the thunder here of the uh, the residents of, of Colchester. Please continue. Yeah, so, so well done, Colchester. Even the guy with the really bad Mohican mullet who's in the front, what was he thinking? The, the, this amazes me. I, and again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm digressing here. But you see people walking down the streets and, you know, they're like, I haven't got perfect facial symmetry I'm a little bit overweight. I've got bad skin. I know what I'll do. I will pierce my nose and stick a chain to my ear and I will dye my hair purple. That'll make me look fantastic. Well, how do these people make these choices? I don't know. True story. True story. When I was a kid and growing up in the punk era, my mate looked the part. He he really did. He, he was slim. He was a handsome young man and he dyed his hair jet black and he looked like Sid Vicious. Uh, in fact, he looked better than Sid Vicious. He looked what he looked like what Sid Vicious would have looked like had he not done all the heroin. I used the other half of the bottle and dyed my hair black as well. But because I wore glasses, I looked like Billie Jean King. I looked like the the the, the female tennis player. Um so yeah, some people make bad choices when it comes to uh, body modification or the style of coiffure that they're going for. But a Mohican mullet in Colchester, what was that guy thinking? I'm not sure. Probably the same thing that Nicola Sturgeon was thinking when she decided she was going to take a wee bit of a holiday over the weekend. Yeah, I think you'll find that's fake. I was trying to make you laugh. Although it is amusing. I was just trying to make you laugh. That's all. Uh, that that does make me smile. Yeah, but she she looks like um oh who's the guy who sang Walking in the Air? Ali Jones actually. That the the way Photoshop have moved that photograph around, she looks like Ali Jones in a bikini. Anyway, we are talking rubbish now. Aren't we? we are, so, yeah, we so are. We got almost real current affairs. Yeah, yeah, we we can news. do. Yeah. All right, so I want to move into where Tucker Carlson uh, did a piece on. Uh, a pilot that has suffered a uh, a cardiac arrest six minutes after landing the plane. Now, before I play this clip, Marty, you're very well familiar with uh, aircraft, both commercial and military. Taking off is, to my understanding, obviously I'm not a pilot, have no experience in that whatsoever, but it seems to me, and, and I know commercial airline pilots, taking off, you kind of need to know a lot of things about an aircraft to be able to take off, but it's it's not the most complex uh, thing in the world. Flying it, pretty much anybody can do that. But landing, landing is where things really count. You need to get every single thing right, and there can't be any margins for error when you land an aircraft, especially when you have 200 passengers on board or more on some of these transatlantic flights uh, or trans-Pacific flights. Would you say that that's an accurate statement before I play this? Yeah, I, I would say that's accurate. I mean, the size of the aircraft and how new it is and what kind of technology it has on board all plays a part. But so many of these functions are taken out of the hands of the pilot and and put into the hands of 
high quality computers that can work all this kind of stuff out because it removes human error. What the human is there for is to make sure all the right lights are coming on in the right sequence so that the aircraft can more or less take off and even land itself. So obviously you can't always guarantee whether the airport that you're landing at, it may have changed. Crosswinds across a a runway makes the task more difficult. And occasionally the pilot has to take hold of the controls and make some adjustments to the aircraft's flight path himself. But by and large, most of the purpose of the pilot is to watch to make sure that everything is operating as it should be. And the last thing that you want is a pilot going into uh, some type of cardiac failure and slumping across the uh, the yoke as he's about to touch down, right? Yeah, absolutely. You still want that qualified and extremely skilled individual there in case anything does go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, by someone having a, a heart attack at the helm of an aircraft, he could cause things to go wrong. So, yeah, it's the last thing you want. Well, you'll be happy to know that the Federal Aviation Administration in the United States, uh, they say that they've just changed the reading of what the EKG is supposed to say to be considered normal. So they've now readjusted that to offset the number of pilots that are having uh, cardiac issues. Uh, and of course, Southwest Airlines, they, they say that their, their pilots are dying at six times the rate as what they normally would uh, over the past year or two. So well I've, I've is- seen I've seen figures saying, you know, not just pilots but all excess deaths uh-huh. are actually like 26% of what they were 3 years ago, mm-hmm. 26% more than what they were 3 years ago. So something is is very wrong. Pilots of course were all forced to be vaccinated or lose their jobs. That was the first thing that the lockdowns and restrictions hit was the airlines. You've got pilots that that weren't flying for a period of time, maybe lots of staff laid off, both ground staff and flight crew laid off for, for a period of time. And they were desperate to get back to work and would roll their sleeves up as, as fast as you like. That's true. Um, and I actually heard an interesting statistic uh, yesterday morning. Bruce, you'll, you'll like this. Oil refineries. Yeah, oil refineries in the United States. I know this is kind of off topic. I'm going to get to this Tucker clip, but uh, just to, because of, of point of relevance, oil refineries are having problems. A lot of the oil companies decided that they were going to mandate vaccines too. That was not really um, talked about much, but the refineries, they're having problems finding qualified workers to come in and work to uh, to help with the refining process to keep these facilities operational because, well, people have either passed on or they're now disabled and they can't work. And I, I don't think they realize that it takes a long time to train people to work in these refineries. You can't just pick them up off the street and stick them in an oil refinery somewhere, um, as you well know. Well... When I first left the armed forces, one of the jobs I went to be interviewed for was a a fantastic job because you worked four days on, four days off, four days on, four days off, then 10 days off. And the money was really, really good. Twice what I was earning, sorry about the ting, twice what I was earning in the Navy. But what they did was they put us through three rounds of interviews Um, all conducted by a recruitment company. 
And then none of the candidates, because I got through to the third round of interviews, but none of the candidates that were interviewed got taken on. Instead, they decided to take a whole bunch of graduates and pay them half what they were going to pay us. Sounds right. Yeah. I don't know. They're not exactly dragged off the streets, but they're not exactly trained and experienced engineers and process technicians that all the people that I were into, was, was interviewed with were. That's exactly my point. You might as well just drag them off the street at that point. Yeah. And if they're, if they're struggling getting, getting qualified people, why is that? Is it because they've gone somewhere else where they didn't have to have a fake vaccine shoved in them? Or have actually some of those that were vaccinated unfortunately succumb to the side effects fake of vaccine. mRNA. Fake vaccine. You hear this? Fake vaccine. That's a real vaccine, isn't it? They changed but the no, definition to make sure that it is. <laughs> they had to, that's well, what they I haven't bought the up-to-date dictionary, so I'm sticking with my definition, if you don't mind. They changed the definition the other day of an anti-vaxxer, you'll be happy to know. Did they? They did, yes. So an anti-vaxxer is now what, then? An anti-vaxxer is anyone that ever, anyone that, I'll, let me get the exact definition. Hang on just a second. And then I promise we're going to get to this Tucker clip. Which dictionary is it? Uh, it, is was, it, Merriam it, it was Merriam-Webster, yeah. Uh, a person who opposes the use of some or all vaccines. That's it. Regulations That's it. mandating vaccination or usually both. Oh, wow. There, yeah, there's never it. been a vaccine mandate until now. None of the other vaccines were mandated. No. So, yeah, see, Webster's, that's that's American George English, Soros. isn't it? No, it's George Soros yeah. is what it is. George Soros bought uh, Encyclopedia Britannica two years ago, and then they turned around and, and they bought the company that had Merriam-Webster. So th this guy, how is this guy not a problem? This guy's as bad as Gates in a lot of respect. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Okay. To, to let's, the Tucker let's clip. Hear, let's hear yeah, to the Tucker, Tucker clip. Let's just this pilot was never contacted by the FAA's top flight surgeon, Susan Northrup, to find out what exactly happened, including the obvious question, was this cardiac arrest related to the airline's federally mandated vaccine policies? They don't want to ask any questions about this or any other event like it. Instead, the Biden administration quietly loosened the EKG requirements for pilots, which is not in the interest of public safety. We thought it'd be worth speaking to Captain Bob Snow, who is a commercial airline pilot and brave enough to come on our show. Captain, I sure appreciate your coming on. Um, so you, if, if I recounted that story correctly, you had a heart attack six minutes after you landed a commercial flight with 200 passengers. Uh, and I'm so glad that you survived. What happened next or what didn't happen next? do you believe should have happened? Well, evening, Tucker, and thank you for having me. Um, of course, of course uh, everybody's heard the story of what happened with me uh, about six minutes after landing our flight from uh, Denver to DFW. Um, and, uh, you know, after spending seven days in the ICU uh, in the uh, DFW metro area, uh, I was released to go back home. And uh, since that date, uh, I arrived home approximately uh, April 16th. Uh, I've had no contact whatsoever from anyone either with the uh, FAA or with the company to, to query me or to investigate uh, exactly uh, what happened to me uh, in regards to the, uh, the cardiac arrest that I experienced while I was in the flight deck. That seems crazy. I mean, I, uh, uh, the FAA is very strict with pilots, famously strict. That's why our planes land on time and safely. Why do you think they haven't reached out to you? 
Well, that's an interesting question, and I think that's one that uh, you know bears investigation. Uh, the FAA, as far as I'm concerned, uh, was in violation of their own guidelines by allowing the administration of uh, EUA-issued vaccines uh, to uh, to pilots. Uh, it's uh, air medical guidelines are very strict, uh, and uh, you know we make our we fly our trade based upon our, our license. Our license is uh, what, uh, allows us to operate aircraft, but we can't utilize that license unless we have a valid medical. Um, the FAA has always been very specific on what is allowed uh, to be administered to, to a pilot. Uh, we're not allowed to participate in drug trials, for instance. Um, and an EUA-issued vaccine is certainly not anything that's been approved by the FAA. It's under an EUA. Uh, for us to be subject to a mandate uh, without any investigation, uh, without you know any sort of 12-month uh, studies as to the adverse effects that these vaccines may have, uh, is to me unconscionable. Uh, we were basically you know treated as giant guinea pigs, and unfortunately, of course, uh, you know we're ultimately responsible. We're the ultimate arbiters of safety in regards to the operation of the aircraft. My primary job as a captain for a major airline is risk mitigation. I'm there essentially to make sure that the operation is run safely, effectively, and primarily uh, on time, if at all possible. But safety is is paramount, is with the same that we've always utilized. And uh, they, uh, you know, basically abrogated their responsibility to look after our safety by by forcing us to to undergo this uh, vaccination program. And 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 then. Their only response is to loosen the requirements for heart ailments in pilots. At this point, knowing that, experiencing what you did personally, are you worried about the safety of commercial air travel? Well, of course, I do have some concerns. Uh, you know, I, I've been contacted by pilots that have had issues uh, post-vaccine. Uh, I'm well aware of, of one of my former co-workers uh, who unfortunately passed away as a consequence uh, of receiving the vaccine. And uh, this is something that it's going to take a long-term uh, investigation to figure out, you know, what sort of debilitating issues can we be suffering uh, as a result of this this uh, foolhardy vaccination program that was uh, that forced upon uh, Americans and, and the worldwide population. You know, this, this jab for job idea that folks came up with in management and in the FAA and uh, also with, uh, you know, Biden's vaccine mandate is is absolutely unconscionable. I, I cannot believe that in this day and age, uh, particularly in light of, you know, I remember the, the swine flu vaccination program in the 1970s. Uh, they had some serious adverse reactions to that, and that vaccine was pulled almost immediately. But it seems like now everybody has their blinders on and nobody seems to want to give any uh, consideration to the potential adverse effects of the uh, the COVID vaccines. It's become an exceptionally political issue. I can't even imagine the consequences you're risking for coming on the show, Pilot Bob Snow, and I, I'm just really grateful that you did. And I hope hope the Congress follows up right away. Thank you. Well, I can't help but feel that CNN are just chomping at the bit. All those left-wing idiot news stations can't wait to be the first to get the headline out, you know nothing, Bob Snow, straight from Game of Thrones parodying that. But he clearly does know. He does know his stuff. And what he just said there should send shockwaves through the industry and say, yeah, hang on, the FAA doesn't allow us to be part of any drug trial. Yet the whole world was part of a drug trial. And you can't fault what that man said. And you look at him, he's he's probably a little bit older than me. I reckon he's 60 at least. But he's thin, he's fit looking, he looked healthy, and he would have been given regular medicals, which is part of their job, part of their license. And we've talked about this before. He'd have had an ECG, he'd have had bloods done, 
and he would have been fit, but something has caused him a heart problem. They and have to do this that. Whole- but per, just for reference, per FAA regulations, they have to go through that every six months. All pilots yeah. do. Yeah, something has, has caused that problem. But this whole six minutes thing, six minutes after, that's just for effect. He was probably already suffering the effects of the, the, the heart attack whilst he was still flying the aircraft. It would have been six minutes after he'd landed when paramedics would have got on board, plugged him into a mobile ECG and seen that he had some kind of arrhythmia or some way of detecting that he was having a cardiac episode. So it was probably already happening while he was flying. It had to have been because it takes, I mean, I've taken countless flights and so have you. It takes more than six minutes. When, When the wheels are down, as soon as you touch down on the deck, it's more than five minutes to taxi to the gate. Yeah. And then, of course, you've yeah. got uh, the announcements that come across and everybody has to stand up at once and get their luggage and everything. So if you take that all into account, the gangway and the and the ramp had to be clear for the paramedics to get through unless he ran off the plane directly, which Captain and crew is the last off. So, yeah. So, yeah, it, this whole six minutes thing is just for headlines. But, yeah, Bob Snow spoke the truth. And uh, he is a brave man for doing so. And I've got a lot of respect for people who are prepared to stand up and tell the truth, speak how it is. I'm actually surprised because of uh, what he said there. You can't be a part of any experiment. I'm actually surprised pilots didn't stand up in unison and say, hold up. This is this is a new tech. This is an experimental tech. We ain't taking this jab, Uh, even though uh, they were being mandated to take it. I'm really surprised they didn't, I'm not surprised, but I am surprised at the same time. When you know this is part of your regular uh, regiment, you know this is part of the regulations, and yet you just went along with the mandate anyway, knowing that this was an experiment. I'm kind of disappointed gonna, that more of them didn't stand up. I'm going to put my sociologist stroke psychologist head on, not that I'm a qualified either of those, but pilots are indoctrinated to trust the technicians to trust the people who do the mate, the you know the ground crew who do the maintenance on their aircraft. They have to trust their instruments. So when someone tells them, "Here's a vaccine, get over it," Fauci style, they're going to take it. Unfortunately, because they want to keep their jobs. They've worked long and hard to be qualified and and got there. You know, they they're not flying freight anymore. They're flying passengers, and they're going to want to keep working because. They earn good money. I'm, I've, I've no idea exactly how much they earn, but I know it's a lot more than me. So they will be inclined, would have been inclined to just shut up and take it, unfortunately. The one person who stood up to uh, Rabid Jabid, that doctor, in uh, and said, why do I need it? I'm fit and healthy. Why are you vaccinating me um, when I've already had COVID and I've probably got antibodies, so why do I have to have it? Why is it being mandated? That one doctor stood up and that kind of started an avalanche effect as well. Now, the NHS isn't offering boosters or COVID jabs to the under 50s. It's become policy. I know people working in in the NHS who were getting ready to get rooms available for booster clinics uh, and that's all been scrapped and cancelled because the uptake wow. Wow. of people no, wanting that. No, it's clear. It's clear. You're, you're ignoring the elephant in the room here. It's clear why there is not the uptake. You don't have Boris Johnson there 
helping prep the rooms in the uh, the vaccination clinics. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Mr. Ben. Boris, look, I'm wearing another costume, Johnson. It's a flim-flam, man. Well, no, sorry. He, he's, he's too busy flying backwards and forwards to Kiev to fellate Zelensky. Well, you don't have what. to beat yeah, I'm, I'm not going to. Yeah, I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> do we still have uh, that mutual friend? Does he still live in South End? Yeah, he does. Well, that's good because this is breaking. the uh, The council down there is considering a uh, 15 minute city scheme. <laughs> well, that mutual friend has been fighting the local council because they tried to put speed bumps all the way down this private road where he lives. He lives in in quite an expensive house. Yeah. By British standards. And he likes cars. He loves cars. And his cars are quite low slung suspension sports models. And these speed bumps that they they put in overnight, but they've now had removed, were were supposed to be a traffic calming. It's okay. Next time you speak to him, or if I get the chance, then I'll certainly tell him he is not going to have to worry about those speed bumps for much longer because they're just going to put concrete bollards up. Yeah, but he's already been fighting the local council over this. I was at his wedding last year, uh, or yeah, last year now in August, and yeah, he he told me the whole story of of how he's taken on the council and more power to his arm. I mean, he's from Essex, so he's got no class or taste. Um, but <laughs> he would disagree. <laughs> <laughs> so we played an episode uh, interview of uh, of Tucker. Do you see a problem with with Tucker Carlson? Do you do you see do you see a problem with what he does? Do you do you think that people need to attack him for what he does and the things that he says? No, other than who he works for, because oh, yeah, you know, Mr. Murdoch. Yeah, yeah, it's still one of the globalists that that station works for, um, and Fox News comes out with some just the other end of the scale of the crap that CNN and and is it is ABC another one of Oh the, they're all um, they're all the alphabets yeah ABC yeah. CBS NBC all the usual suspects yeah, yeah. all yeah. all of them I've seen absolute tripe um I just don't like the way news is being delivered anywhere at the moment even GB news and there's been Quite a lot said recently on GB News that have has, has spoken against the narrative, but it doesn't go far enough. It doesn't really point the finger strongly enough at the guilty bastards. It certainly does not. Uh, and you mentioned Boris Johnson and how he jumps back and forth between the UK and Ukraine. And well, he's not there at the moment. As in fact, he's couple of thousand miles in the opposite direction. He's actually in Washington, D.C., if you can believe it. And he was talking about Tucker Carlson, amongst other things. And he made an appearance on the the Fox News Network, which we will get to here shortly. But this is what he had to say about Tucker while he was speaking at the Atlantic Council. Appalled to discover how many people... I've just been here for a couple of days. It's been wonderful. I always have a wonderful time in Washington. But I've been amazed and horrified by how many people uh, are are frightened of a guy called Tucker Carlson. Has anybody heard of somebody called... Has anybody heard of Tucker Carlson? What's, what is it with this guy? Uh, he, he, all, these, all these wonderful Republicans seem somehow in, intimidated by his, uh, by his perspective. And he's, I, haven't, I haven't watched anything that, he's, uh, that he said, but I'm, but I'm struck by how often this, uh, this comes up. Some the, the bad ideas are uh, getting into, uh, starting to infect the, uh, some of the, the, the thinking around the world about uh, what Putin stands for, uh, what he believes in, 
Uh, it's a disaster. He's, he, he stands for uh, war, uh, aggression, uh, systematic murder, rape and destruction. That's what, he's, that's what he stands for. Does he, Boris? I tell you, he, he used the phrase, I've been struck by. Well, Boris, you would be struck if I got within five feet of you. That's for certain. He's a spent force, but he's still got influence because he is a created media personality in the same way as Tucker Carlson is, or that Ma person you spoke of earlier. Is it Ma? Bill Maher, yes. Bill Maher, yeah. They're media creations. They're characters. They're playing a character. In the last few podcasts, the phrase has come up a number of times. The truth doesn't mind standing up to questions, but a lie can't cope with being interrogated. And that's what Johnson is really saying there. Oh, all this false information. Um, uh, strange ideas are coming up in the way the world thinks about Putin. We've never praised Putin. We've always said there's no good guy in that war. There's just victims, and the victims are the Ukrainian people and the Russian conscripts that are being thrown at all that Western hardware. So, Boris, it's time for you to completely go and spend more time with your families. Families, I, I hasten to add, because he is one of the most prolific pram fillers on the face of the earth. I didn't enjoy seeing him there. I was hoping you were going to tell me he was in North Korea. That, that would be no, that would as a matter of fact, sense. it would make more sense. As a matter of fact, uh, the North Koreans announced today that uh, they are going to send detachments from their military to the two occupied territories in eastern Ukraine. That's not a problem, is it? Are they sending, you know, a couple of battalions of those goose-stepping young ladies in the short skirts that we see I marching don't think, up and down? I don't time? think they'll be sending those, no. They're not sending those? Because no. that, that would cheer everybody up, certainly. It, um, it would certainly cheer up a lot of people, I'm sure, yes, especially the uh, uh, the Eastern uh, uh, the Eastern Europeans, yeah, th that type, yeah, of course. But no, unfortunately, they're going to be sending uh, some of their uh, uh, their military soldiers and some of their hardware, well, which, by the, the way, they've been supplying the Russians with. In, in Napoleonic times, they used to say most countries have an army, but they used to say of the Prussians that it was an army that had a country. And it's the same with North Korea. They've got all that military hardware, all those trained people. They've got diddly squat to do. So, yeah, old funny haircut there is 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 bound to want to um, expose his highly trained Korean goose-stepping dancing girls to, um, to some war. Uh, it doesn't surprise me in the slightest. And I know that you're showing me now a picture of him shaking... Putin warmly by the hand, um, uh -huh. but that's what politicians do. And if you're a rogue nation such as Russia, North Korea, Iran, you have to find someone's hand to shake because the rest of the world doesn't want to shake your hand. So if you force someone to be your enemy by, let's say, oh, extending the reach of of NATO, these kind of things are bound to happen. And as much as I despise Putin. He was provoked into this war. There's no doubt about it. Especially going back to the Tucker Carlson clip there and uh, Johnson. I especially liked Johnson saying that he uh, kept hearing a lot about Tucker Carlson and how scared the Republicans are of him. Now, I know he's a he's a media guy and blah, blah, blah. But 
he is also in control of his own show. Fox News can't tell him what to do and what not to do. Um, he's in uh, full control of his own show. And he has been uh, uh, right about a lot of things. Um, and he's been standing up against like this, uh, the COVID nonsense and everything. And pretty, pretty strongly. Now, I found it interesting that uh, Boris said what he did, that he said the quiet part out loud. He was, I don't think he was supposed to say that. Republicans are scared of Tucker Carlson. That should be a red flag to all the constituents of those Republicans. It should be, you know, a, 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 an identifier or a marker, if you will, because if they were truly standing for you, they would be more intrigued and interested in the things that Tucker Carlson's saying, not afraid of him. Yeah. Uh, and and that's what I've seen from uh, the little bit of Tucker's show that I've seen over the last three years. He's calling them out when they're not doing their job, when they are not standing for the Constitution, when they are rolling over and letting the, the Democrats have it all their own way, when they have obviously been bought out and paid for and have changed sides. You know, that, that's that's one of the things that's really upset me in recent years about MPs in the UK that have left government or left their party but kept their seat. I don't believe in party politics. Party politics, to me, is an anathema. But their constituency voted in that individual based on the party that they belong to. Because let's face it, most politicians... That's how they get voted in. They, they don't do it on their personality because nowadays they're not seen enough. They don't say enough. They're so guarded in what they say that they they couldn't make an impression if they fell from 80 feet, if you, know, if you know what I mean, apart from a dull thud, which would be quite pleasant for some of us. So, yeah, Tucker does call them out when they're not playing by the rules, when they're seemingly change sides and, and not standing by the things that they were voted in on. So let's talk about uh, this tank deal to uh, to Ukraine. The U.S. has said, you know, we don't have those tanks, so we're going to have to buy new ones and we can't have them delivered until after basically the end of the year. So you're not going to get those for a year. However, all the other European countries said, yeah, we'll send you what German tanks we have. This has given Putin pretext to say, we're being threatened by German tanks again. Do you see how the both sides are being played here? All of yeah. this has been used as a scissor strategy. But to the point, are tanks enough? Marty, you think tanks are enough? They're going to receive, supposedly, when it's all said and done, 170 tanks. Do you think that that's enough? I think 170 tanks will become probably 150 wrecks within a very short space of time. Especially if there's no ground freeze in Eastern Europe. Yeah. So the, without the ground freeze, it makes all of the steppe an unviable battlefield for heavy vehicles. As I said in my last podcast, tanks have kind of been superseded. Large, large installations or large vehicles make easy targets. And if you've got an easy target, you stand off, you paint the target with infrared, with radar, you just give coordinates, and in comes a missile a couple of hundred miles away and takes that big vehicle out. There's much, much better ways of conducting warfare these days, and tanks have had their day. There were certain scenarios during the Gulf War, Desert Storm 1 and 2, where the tank 
played its role. But that was against a a much less what's the word I'm looking for advanced. Yeah, it, a much less advanced and capable army. Even though Saddam Hussein had like 1.3 million people in uniform, which is a big, big army. They weren't that well trained, the majority of them. They weren't that well equipped. They were using old Russian kit, like I said, the TIG-72, one of the most common tanks on the face of the earth because it's agricultural. You send Leopard 2s to the Ukrainians, and unless they've had a good while to practice the use of those vehicles, they will be next to useless. Well... Let's look at what they want to send next. They don't even have those tanks yet. They don't even have a single one of them. Yet, this is what they're talking about doing now. Boris Johnson on Brett Baer on Fox News. Let me uh, end where I began, just a few seconds left, and, and that is on the weapons going in. Do yes. you think Ukraine's getting these F-16 fighter planes, despite what the administration is saying, the president's saying? Brett, all I will say is that every time we've said that it would be a mistake to give such and such an item of weaponry, uh, we end up uh, doing it, and it ends up being the right thing for Ukraine. Uh, I remember being told that it was the wrong idea to give them the, the, uh, the anti-tank shoulder-launched missiles. Actually, they were indispensable, and, and the United States under Donald Trump uh, gave them the javelins a, as well. They were indispensable in those battles to repel the, the Russian tanks. Uh, people said uh, that we shouldn't give the HIMARS. I remember having uh, arguments about the, mm -hmm. the, 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 uh, the, the multiple launch uh, rocket systems, the MLRS. Uh, actually, they proved invaluable for the Ukrainians. And, uh, you know, and so same, same with in. tanks. Same with tanks, Brett. We, we said the same about tanks. So, look, all I'm saying is save time, save money, save lives. Give the Ukrainians what they need as fast as possible. Get this thing done. Forget about Putin. Go for economic stability, long-term peace and prosperity. And That's for the people who say they're worried about World War III, they're worried about tactical nuclear weapons, they're worried about Putin being backed up into a wall, and then we that's, get... That's what he wants you to think. That's what he wants you to think. And uh, for, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you why that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen for, because he'd lose the Chinese immediately. He loses all his support from the swing voters, from uh, the, the Indians, the, the sub-Saharan Africans, uh, and so on, uh, the Gulf state, people who, who are kind of cutting him too much slack at the moment. Uh, he absolutely terrifies his own population who worry about reprisals. And you know what? He probably doesn't even stop the Ukrainians uh, if he did that. Uh, and we would put his economy into such a, a cryogenic paralysis that uh, Russia would, wouldn't come out of it for, for decades. So he's not going to do that. Well, uh, and, Prime Minister, and what he needs to do is get himself out of this mess as fast as possible. That means Ukraine winning. Putin losing. Let's give the Ukrainians what they need. Well, you see, Boris has got it all figured out. No, what Boris just gave us there, it, it wasn't the thing I've described in the past, which is the shit sandwich, where you've got two bits of bread concealing the lie, yeah, with the, with the lie in the middle. That was the shit layer cake. Because he started off by saying, if Putin goes nuclear, he'll lose this, he'll lose that, he'll lose the support. It won't matter at that point. Because the kind of yield of those warheads is is way in advance of, of what was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And just one is going to cause us a big problem in Europe for a long, long, long time. So for it to happen at all will wreck 
everybody's economy and everybody's chances. So the best thing to do is not to provoke him into it by sending NATO equipment into a non-NATO country and threaten his borders. That is the best thing to do. What Johnson did there was just layer of lie upon lie upon lie upon lie. And he doesn't speak for the UK anymore. He is a former prime minister. I know it's American practice to call ex-presidents Mr. President still, but that reporter, that anchor man there, given that worthless piece of ruffle-haired, eaten crap, the honorific of prime minister, there hasn't been a prime minister worth anything in this country since Margaret Thatcher. Everything else has been complete rubbish. Even Margaret Thatcher was hated by about 50% of the population. So, yeah, just just don't pay any attention to, to Boris. He is a twant. Uh, as an American, I really detest all the money we're sending uh, to Ukraine and equipment and uh, funds. Um, the only thing that he listed there uh, that I would be somewhat okay with sending uh, was the javelin systems, because that is more of a defensive ambush weapon than a offensive. Everything else he listed there are all offensive weapons. They are not defensive. That enables Ukraine to then go on the assault, um, whereas javelins, not so much. We actually, as part of our arms deal, just to throw that, just to throw this in there before you uh, respond, Marty, um, as part of our deal, I read yesterday that these will include, uh, this will include long range smart bombs. Yeah. And and they are offensive weapons. They're not defensive weapons. And you're, you're quite right, Bruce. Um, the multiple missile, missile launcher systems are area denial. Um, you can't advance large formations of, of infantry and vehicles um, safely if they're going to cover a, let's say, a, a five-mile square with heavy missile fire. And, and they are quite accurate. They're, they're accurate to within two or three meters. So it's... Um, you know, it, it, it's a it's a it's an area denial weapon, and in my experience, javelin used to be an anti aircraft weapon. When I used it, um, we we had before that there was blowpipe. Then there was the javelin anti aircraft variant that came on from blowpipe. Now it's the same basic missile system, but it can either be a single shoulder launch um, anti tank weapon, or it could even be on a spigot with four missiles per and and it is to defend against incoming armored vehicles but even then if they just negotiated properly and you always have to put yourself in the opposition's uh frame of mind in a negotiation and if they do feel threatened then they are gonna behave and respond to a negotiation in a different way so yeah, it, this should never have happened. Ukraine should never have been part or even considered to be part of NATO because it was only ever going to provoke Russia. I guess they shouldn't have put their bank there then, should they? No, no, they shouldn't. Um, but mistakes are being made on both sides. But they're not mistakes. Yeah, they're not mistakes. They're, they're, it's all absolutely deliberate. This is a, another proxy war. It's And, and again, and we're point. going over old ground here. 
We we are. And to your point, I just like to say that I, I I found a picture of a former prime minister of yours that did negotiate, and he did it in good faith. You see, he's holding the letter up right there, and you see that that prevented yeah. war. That prevented war. You see, it it did until the Rothschilds went. Okay, Hitler, here's the money you need. <laughs> Go and invade yeah. Poland and the Sudetenland. Yeah. At which point, that piece of paper meant nothing. With Anthony Eden standing there, it is Eden, isn't it? Peace, or is it Chamberlain? Which one is it? That's Chamberlain. Uh, Peace in our time. That's Chamberlain. Chamberlain, yeah. Peace in our time. But we still had that mutual defense pact with Poland. So the moment I've had this with with, um, argument with someone quite close to me who said, uh, and they're Spanish, by the way, and their parents were on the fascist side during the Civil War. And uh, we had this long argument, as we use, as we are prone to do. And, uh, and then he said, yeah, but you lot, you, Britain, started the Second World War. I said, what? what? What are you talking about? He said, yeah, you declared war on Germany. And he's actually right, we did. But we declared war on Germany because we were honour-bound by the, the, the mutual uh, protection pact to defend Poland. So the moment Hitler rolled tanks into Poland, we were effectively at war. Which was done under false pretenses, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. You know, it's it's, there hasn't been a a decent, honest war for I don't know how long. Since the revolution, I think. (laughs) I had to. I had to. I'm sorry. Maybe. Maybe that might be one. But who was funding it? The Dutch, the French. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But they gave us they, some money. they've always had it in for they believe it or not most people don't realize just how long Britain have been at war with Holland there was so many skirmishes well, out of sea and to be fair we we didn't we didn't actually take the loan from the Dutch until after the war was over because we were bankrupt and we owed a lot of money to the French and the French were helping us because well, I, there's some kind of bad blood between you and the French. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what it is <laughs> that still carries to this day. Uh, but that was the whole the enemy of my enemies, my friend thing. Yeah. Well, the Six Nations rugby starts again this weekend. I will be with Ned to watch the England game on Saturday. So I'm looking forward to that and particularly looking forward to us giving France a good tonking at the Stade de France in Paris in a couple of weeks' time. We'll go ahead and call this one done. Uh, we'll see you next week, yes? Oh, yes. Yes. Try and keep me awake. But I've been trying to get a female guest who posts regularly on Facebook and, and Twitter and has been speaking out against the narrative for quite some time. And she comes up with some good stuff. So I'll give her a, a mention by name, and I'm hoping I'm going to pronounce this correctly annie devoit i better just double check that i missed the l out so it's annie du levoit and she writes some good stuff and i would desperately love her to come onto the podcast i've left an open invitation and she says that we're welcome to use anything that she's posted uh in our efforts as well so that's my last bit you'll have to tidy that up for me johnny i do apologize and thank you very much we will see you next week and that will do it for us today and this week i want to thank you both for being here this evening thank you to all of the listeners god bless everyone have a good evening